would have been good if I was recording when you said that. <laughs> I'm well. Yeah, Bryce. And you will never know what we're laughing at. <laughs> so we're starting with a new segment. Well, before before we start with a new segment, we should welcome people to side quests. Oh yeah, we should welcome people to <laughs> Which is where they are right now. <laughs> oh yeah, you didn't know it. You <laughs> thought you were in your car or place of not getting any work done, but you're actually in side quests. Right. You may be doing the dishes. Yeah, I do the dishes and do this. I cook breakfast and listen to podcasts. I walk a dog. Oh, that's good. Alright, so you are doing something. <laughs> and also simultaneously listening to side quests. That's good. This is the best intro ever. <laughs> Which is what we are. <laughs> we are side quests. Because we just can't even have a plan. <laughs> but now we're introducing, um, in order to impose a tyrannical structure upon this freewheeling anarchy, we have sections. Yeah. So far we have one section primarily, which is the news. But it turns out the whole point of this one is to just be the news. <laughs> the news. Uh, so this past weekend we competed-ish. Yeah, uh, is that the right word? I don't know if competed is the right word. I don't yeah. feel competitive No, about I feel it. very collaborative with the internet right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll take that back. Participated they, in. We participated in Ludum Dare, and that's how I'm going to say it. And I think you should too. Yep. Because we've, we've agreed. Yeah, we've agreed. It's Latin, and that's how you would say it in Latin. Yep. And so we're going with it. For those of you who don't know, Ludum Dare is a game jam. And for those of you who don't know what a game jam is, it's where you take a short period of time that is shorter than all the time in the world to make a game. In this case, we did the jam, so it was 72 hours. They also have a subsection of their whole thing, which is if you do it in 48 hours by yourself. They call that the compo. But we did the jam. You take that amount of time and make a video game. And we did that. Uh, we started on last Friday at 9 p.m. And then it wrapped up on Monday at 9 p.m. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, 72 hours, 48 of those hours are the weekend, which mm -hmm. is a better time to have a game jam. Yeah. It's weird that they give you that other day. Yeah. It's like four college students who would like to skip their Monday classes. Right. I know, I'm aware that there are many people in the world who either don't have jobs or also don't have jobs that have a, you know, traditional Monday through Friday schedule. In fact, like... I don't know the percentages, but I'm sure it's actually a, a quite a high percentage of people don't have a 9 to 5 Monday through Friday job. Yeah, and honestly, right now, I'm one of them. So I actually did spend all of Monday working on it. But I sort of was like, this is a bonus day. So I took it casually. Yeah. Anyway, 72 hours. I still got a lot done. Made a video game. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, along another... with like 20... Four-ish, 2,400 other people on the internet. I thought it was like 3,000. Oh, I can't remember. Maybe that's right. Somewhere I'm, between two and 4,000 people. We will get back to you on that. <laughs> A lot of other people did this. It's over the internet, so there are people all over the world participating in this. I'm trying to find... 
we can yeah, it does. I don't think it's an extremely important fact, but... I disagree. <laughs> but it's in this ballpark. And I don't know, I thought about doing game jams a lot. I, mm. I know you, you have as well. And oh, yeah. We've even talked about it, obviously. Right. And I've participated in the same style of event for a number of different media. Mm-hmm. So the very first thing I did like this, I wasn't a participant, but there was a 24-hour play festival when okay. I was in college. And the person putting it on at my school was in my film one class, and he asked if I would film it. For oh, okay. Him. Yeah, yeah. So, so you were like the, the documentary yeah, filmmaker. Yeah. I made a documentary, or I filmed the documentary because he was also interested right. in film. He did the editing. But we filmed it, me and my friend, uh, hi, Zach, and then gave him the footage. And so it was 24 hours. They had to start with nothing. They got a theme, I think. I forget exactly what it was because it was a long time ago now. And then they wrote a play. They were, you know, in teams and they wrote a play and they rehearsed it all day. I mean, they had the advantage of being a black box theater, so they had some standard stuff like right a table some chairs you know there's some stuff at the college that they could use and then they were given the announcement i think at 8 p.m and then at 8 p.m the next day they put on these three short plays and this one was small so there were only three teams sure Uh, but it was really fun and i got to see how this thing worked and then the other thing that i've actually done a bunch of times is the 48 hour film project and there's another one that I've done that's a seven-day one where you make a movie in that amount of time. But anyway, there, there's this long tradition of many art forms of let's get together and do it in one go. We're just going to make that thing. Right, yeah. And, you know, there's um, there's NaNoWriMo, which is a long, drawn-out version, but it turns mm-hmm. out writing a novel takes a long time, so I wouldn't want to do a 24-hour novel project. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> So I've been listening to the Butterscotch Shenanigans podcast, and they've talked about NaNoWriMo. And somebody's like, we figured out how many words I can type a minute. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and if it's, that needs to be that many words, uh, nine hours. <laughs> right. Yeah, you could do it. You could do it in um, nine hours. That's a work day plus one hour. That's less than some people's work days. It's not going to be a good novel. <laughs> uh, even a 72-hour novel project, I... That doesn't sound fun in the same way. But a short story project yeah, sounds yeah, pretty absolutely. good. But the this great premise of let's make something fast mm-hmm. and accept that it's going to be shitty. Or like, let's accept that the value in this thing is not in its polish. Right, yeah. That the, the making of it. Right. The value is in the doing. And it's a way to get yourself to actually do that thing that you've always talked about doing. And it's so valuable in that way. Like, we published a video game over a weekend for a certain value of the word publishing. Right, and video game. Um, (laughs) I argue that we're in uh, any definition of the game video game. That's fair. And so are... I'm going to say everyone's game that I played. Yeah, I have not played a game that... I've played some bad games, mm. but I haven't played any games that were not games. Mm. I did play one game where I felt like I literally couldn't figure out the controls and I died in two seconds every time. Oh. Um, hmm. and, and there wasn't a restart button, so I had to close the program and open it again. Oh. But, I, but even that game, the main reason I was grumpy about it, because I was like, 
I think there's some fun to be had here <laughs> that I can't have. So I've written out a list of all the games that I played, hmm. and I put stars next to the ones that I thought were actually quite good and worth remembering, and I put only one singular X next to one game, which was still playable and not, like, terrible. It just... And I'm not going to tell you which one that is, because I don't think that's in the spirit of it. Yeah, yeah, the... They did a lot of work, and they made a great thing. Yeah, everyone... Not, it's not, like, a great example of a thing, but it's... Just having done it is so good that nobody should know what which one it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, we made a game in 72 hours. A bunch of people made a game in 72 hours. If it's a bad game... That's not a big surprise. Right. Um, it's <laughs> like if you typed for nine hours straight, it would be a bad novel. I guess there's two there's two halves of this experience. And one is the making of the game and the mm. one is like playing other people's games, I think. Yeah. Um, and they're both interesting experiences. The second one that you just mentioned is the one that I find really surprising at how much I like it. Not that playing a bunch of video games is fun, really? I'm so surprised. No, that's not the point. Just there's this whole community aspect to it. So Ludum Dare has their website, and it's essentially a giant blog news feed thing. And so you just try to find new games and play them. And I'm playing on a Mac, so I, I tend to not play anyone's Windows game. Which is like a lot of them. Which is a lot of them, especially at first. And people have been coming out with web oh, player versions yeah. over time. And also, I'm finding this interesting experience where when I find one web player game, there's a bunch of people who just raided it. And some number of those are also web player games. And, like, you find people who are just raiding the web player games. Oh. Huh. I think that's what's happening. I think I'm finding chains of people playing web player games. Okay. I've found very few Mac games. We built for the Mac because I'm on a Mac, so it's gotta work on one. Right. And I think in playing the games, I've played many games that were made in Unity that mm -hmm. don't seem to use anything particularly esoteric or exotic that were only released for Windows. Huh. And maybe I should ask, maybe I should write a comment. Every time mm -hmm. I've just kind of thought to myself, why didn't you release oh. it for Mac? Or it was just clicking the same button one more time for us. Um, right. You did it a bunch. So you did most of the builds. And in a minute, I'd like to talk a little bit more about what we did. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, so you did most of the builds, and I twiddled my thumbs for a little bit. Like, it made more sense for you to push two more builds rather than push the code up to our GitHub. Right. Or it wasn't yeah. GitHub, but... Right, yeah. and then have you do another build. I don't know, I just thought that was very funny. Mm -hmm. And I literally don't know why you wouldn't make a Mac build. Or just oh. an HTML5 build. Yeah, I mean, I guess having hosting... We, uh, we happened to have a website for an unrelated organization that I could post things to. That's true. Um, but, I mean, there's there's other options. There's itch.io. But mm -hmm. if you hadn't thought that through... Right, uh, and you get to this point and you're like, oh, crap, I have to publish somehow. Yeah. Which is a little bit where we were. Right. <laughs> and they do give you some time for porting. So, at first, in the very beginning, you know, right after we had launched... Like I played a bunch of games on the first night. Most of them the next day. Right. There were not very many games that I could find easily that were pushed to the web or for Mac. And so it was hard to find games on the first one. But over time, there's just more and more and more, I think. That makes more sense. of them. So we're talking about playing these games. So one of the things that Ludumdare runs on is this system that they've made for causing feedback to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and so you release this game... And you want people to play it 
and look at it and rate it and write comments on it. And they want you to rate other, you know, so you're supposed to rate other people's games. And But the way that it works is you click on the, you know, Ludumdare 40 games link and it gives you a listing of, you know, what, 25 games or 50 games, little thumbnails mm-hmm. in, in a grid. I don't know how many, but... Oh, yeah. Um, this is interesting. It's not how I'm finding most of them, but mm-hmm. continue. Okay, but then you click on them. And then you can play them and download them and stuff like that. But the the order that they show up on your screen is determined by how many ratings the creators of those games have given. Mm-hmm. So when you rate games, your game becomes weighted higher. So people see it, are more likely to see it in their random browsing. Up to a point, because everyone is supposed to have approximately as many ratings on their game as they have given. Oh, I've not found that explanation, or really any explanation, but I found that to be true. I have very nearly the same number. Right. And one of the things is, it's not just the ratings, they want you to give helpful, useful feedback. And they have a vaguely and mysteriously introduced concept of coolness points built in. That there's no very clear indication of the value, and I think that's quite intentional. No, I I think the value of coolness points is in promoting your game's visibility. Oh, they say that's what the value is, Mm -hmm. but they don't say... They don't say the weighting or how it's generated. The weighting or how it's generated. And that's fair, because the more information you give about your algorithm that is a public aggregation algorithm, the more people will game it. Right, and there's like some funny things where it turns out that, for instance, if you won Ludum Dare, you do in fact get a lot of attention for your game. And so there are probably monetary implications for people who are trying to make and sell games. Mm-hmm. And so that means that if you have a naive or too open algorithm, you probably would attract people. Right. If you rated everything and you just go through and you give everything a three-star rating and you put a comment that says, uh, Good idea. It was a little bit confusing and could use more polish. <laughs> right. Great work. Could use more polish (laughs) is a comment that you could put on literally everyone's game. Right. Because there's 72 hours. There's not much time for polish. Everyone published a game. They did great work. Right. They could use more polish. And if you give everyone a four-star rating, then if their algorithm valued that, then it would not be a good algorithm. And you would write software to cause that to happen. Right. Or someone would. One other thing is that you have to have entered the jam in order to rate games on it. Or the compo. Right. Either, Either one. So yeah, so there's this algorithm that we don't know what it is, and I would like slightly more explanation somewhere on the internet. And it's possible that that explanation exists. It's very possible that that explanation exists somewhere on the Ludumdare page, and I like a lot of things about this process, and none of those things are the organization of that web page. Although, as someone who has written web pages that are attempting to convey complex information, I understand it's not straightforward. Yeah. I think that they have done something awesome, whether I like the details of the awesome thing that they've done or not. Right. So So we made this game. We did make this game. And I think that what we should do is take a break, adjust some technical difficulties, which I know for a fact you're hearing right now. And then we'll come back and talk about our game. Sounds good. All right. Let's quick. Let's record a podcast. This always works. (laughs) <laughs> Just stay really on task and get it out really fast. Yeah, we're very good at that. <laughs> we're back from our break. Hello! Hello. <laughs> so, when we left off, we said that we would come back and talk about our game for the jam. Yeah, so we made a video game. We did. Um, tell us about it. 
What, what kind of game did we make? <laughs> okay, so first of all, the important thing is that the Game Jam and Compo uh, came with a theme. So that's what we had to start with. And so everyone who participates in either has the same theme, which in this case was the more you have, the worse it is. Right. And at 9 p.m. on Friday, we found this out. Yep. So what we did next was sit around and talk about what that could mean. Yeah. We brainstormed. We had a lot of paper. And yeah. Pencils and... It was everywhere. Drawings and... <laughs> and what it could mean. And you wrote a list of things it could mean. Yeah. Do you remember any of them? Um, Besides well, what we did? Yeah. So let's see. We thought about a lot of things that... Um, well, we rejected some first. Mm-hmm. And the one we both initially knee-jerk rejected mm-hmm. was uh, money. Oh, yeah. And and I think we both had this feeling that there is a tradition in media of depicting having too much money as bad. Um, it's when not... it's obviously not that bad. <laughs> right. It's way better than not having <laughs> enough. <laughs> because most of the problems that having money causes can be solved with money. Which and, you have. Right. And less of the money than you have. <laughs> right. And so we, we, I think yeah. we both rejected that. Um, and then right. we started talking about other things. So one of the first things you s- suggested was... Some kind of game where you were defending territory. Oh, yeah, that's true. Because a very natural result of having lots of territory is that you have to spread your defenses thin. Right. And we talked about that for a little bit, but we were still in brainstorming mode. We talked about how every classic game involves this. And it's funny, we talked about Snake, I think, at one point. And it's funny because I played a game, which was quite fun, called Snake Triss. Okay. Which was a combination of Snake and Tetris. Yep. Which was fun. It was a two-player game. One of you plays Snake and one of you plays Tetris. And it was neat and fun and enjoyable. I played it with Samantha for a little bit just to have a second player. Because I was playing it by myself. Right. It was super hard. Yeah. It was really hard to play by yourself. It was good. Anyway, so it's funny. Somebody took the idea of the old classic games and just ran with it. Right. And mashed two of them together. Successfully, I think. Yeah. yeah, we talked about that. We, I, I don't know, we talked about a lot of things. I posted a list. What are the things that you can have too much of? Cooks. You can definitely have too many cooks. <laughs> oh yeah, we talked about that for sure. <laughs> um, and of course, I always want to make a cooking game. That's that's <laughs> one of the things I always want to do. Yeah. Um, but the other thing we always want to do is space games we talk about sometimes. Right. So that's what we ended up doing. But we got there sort of circuitously. We started with the thing that you could have too much of, which was garbage. Right. Right. The more garbage you have, the worse it is. Right. And, of course, this isn't the first time we've talked about making a game around the idea of garbage. <laughs> because there's Garbaggio. Oh, that's true. But it's taken. Uh, somebody got Garbage.io and we couldn't get it. So neither can you. If we could have gotten it, yeah. neither would you have been able to. But we would be famous as the developers oh, of Garbaggio. I know. That, that hit IO game. I know. It's too bad. Because we were sitting around and I thought it. I immediately went to look to see if I could buy that domain name. And it was taken. Yeah. Somebody's squatting it. There's no site there. Right. And that's just extremely disappointing. I know. Um, But too much garbage. Specifically, too much radioactive garbage. Right. I don't remember when it made the jump. You must have come up with it. To what if you have a spaceship. So the game we ended up doing was... You are on a spaceship hauling garbage from planets and throwing them into a black hole. Right. 
And I'm not sure how we took garbage and took it to radioactive garbage into a black hole. I think we were like, oh, what if it's in space and we're moving garbage? And I was like, what if you're taking garbage to a black hole to throw right. it yeah, away? Right, yeah, not all of it is relatively straightforward. And Who wouldn't come up with that once you have garbage in space? Right. I mean, there's that episode of Red Dwarf where they have to chew a mm. planet into a black hole, right? Oh, I can't remember. I don't remember that one. It is a, a billiards reference. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> there's an opening to, you know, from a commercial break from Third Rock from the Sun. Where somebody hits one planet into another planet and then it goes into a right. black hole. Yeah. So it's possible they took that from Red Dwarf, or it's possible that's it's what you're a remembering. Very, a very natural idea. <laughs> no, because um, Lister has a couple drinks before taking the shot because he says he always plays better when he's had a couple <laughs> drinks and it makes the rest of the crew very nervous. <laughs> That show's great. So that's what we sort of was our starting point once we were planning the game. You are on a garbage ship taking garbage to a black hole to get rid of it. Yeah, and I guess we we had a list of things that you could have too much of, and they kind of glommed together. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that you could have too much of is too much to do. Oh yeah, that's Um, true. And another thing you'd have too much of is too much advice. Right. And so if you've played it, which we will tell you how to play it sometime in the very near future, like now. Or Uh, potentially in the text you've already read. Right, right, right. We'll link to it in um, somewhere. We're we're figuring out this. I believe that every podcast, every other podcast refers to the show notes. Oh, Hmm. And so we could refer to it in the show notes. The show notes. I don't know what those are. If you're walking a dog right now. (laughs) Oh, speaking of which, one of the games that I played was like a vertical scrolling. You shoot things that are coming down as the screen scrolls up. Oh, I see. Yes. There's a name for that genre, but I can't think of it right now. Okay, sure. Legendary Wings is a game that I really like for the NES. Games like Gradius Rotated 90 Degrees. Wait, is Gradius, do you go to the right? I think so. Maybe I'm wrong. I thought you went up for Gradius. The sequel is Life Force, and you definitely go to the right in Life Force. Okay. We might be the worst video game historians (laughs) of all time. So Um, if that's what you're here for, check our facts. um, But you'll get a lot of interesting information. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Oh, but in that game, you were a dog. Okay. That sounds great. It had little speech bubbles at the bottom and a little story, and it gave you a tutorial in a similar way to the way we do it, only they put it at the bottom of the screen and they paused everything, unlike how we did it, which we've gotten some feedback for. (laughs) Because the idea is that the captain of the ship that Mm -hmm. you're on has been... uh, Oh, now you're talking about our game. No, no, no. No, you're talking about the dog. No, I'm talking about the dog. Uh, In this other game, the idea is that the captain of the ship has been kidnapped or somehow captured or subdued. And so you, his dog, are now flying the ship. (laughs) Okay. So if you're wondering whether or not I clicked on it because of that, it had a percentage amount of why. And that's what they did. And it was funny and I liked it. And I'm going to tell you what that game was called. In space, no one knows you're a dog. Is what (laughs) I would have called it. Oh my God. Dear (laughs) makers of... Oh, this was Space Lich. Uh, Space Lich. In space, no one knows you're a dog. That it could at least be the subtitle. Yeah, that's true. Uh Oh my God. Okay, and if you want to hang out later, (laughs) uh, we're into it. Right, so we ended up with a game where you are a crew of a starship hauling radioactive garbage 
into a black hole. Mm -hmm. um, the, the idea is you got to go from place to place, picking up garbage, throwing into a black hole, and making sure your ship doesn't overheat because you are filling your ship with radioactive waste. Right. And so at first it was like, you are a ship... Which is one way of being in space. Right. Because you are the ship. Like, Asteroids does this and Gradius, maybe. I would. You definitely are a ship in Gradius. I think that's very clear. I would take anything that we say about what Gradius is or what happens in it with a gigantic grain of salt. <laughs> I'm, I'm very confident that you are a spaceship. Okay. Moving on. So, a very common thing to be is a starship. So, ostensibly, in these games where you are a starship, you are the captain of that starship or something, right. but you have an unrealistic degree of control, and, you know, your fingers directly move a starship. They don't right. directly move a captain. And I like being a person. Mm -hmm. In games, I want to be, like, an entity. It doesn't have to be a person, like a human. Right. But I want to be an entity that does things. That is in embodied in some way, that has yeah. an avatar in some way. Right. You could be a um, robot, you could be an alien, you could right. be a slug, you could be a so, single-celled organism. And in, in a lot of games you are someone, right? You mm -hmm. are Mario. Yeah. And then a lot of games you aren't. Like in SimCity, it is unclear who or what you are. Right. You're definitely not a mayor. <laughs> right. Because it's <laughs> hundreds of years. <laughs> and I'm always like a little disappointed when they try to make me think that I'm someone, but really I'm a car. Like, right. If you're Mario, but you're Mario driving a car. Mario Kart has this problem. I have this problem with it. And I think it's a perfectly fine game. I just feel like they're trying to put one over on me. They're trying to make me think I'm Mario, a person doing a thing, but I'm really a vehicle. Hmm. And I've always been like slightly disappointed in all games where they take a character that I like and they put them in a car. It's well, usually a car. There's but. a lot of... That's fair, the beauty of Mario Kart is how hard they worked to make the cars mm -hmm. the characters. Mm -hmm. To the extent that it was an entirely different game, and then they decided they wanted characters, and then they decided that it had to be carts because then you could see the characters. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was like the sequel to F-Zero or something uh, before. To be absolutely clear, I like Mario Kart. I think it's a game that I would happily play if somebody said, hey, you want to play Mario Kart? Right. Uh, that would be a perfectly acceptable thing to do. We could play Mario Kart. That's a sentence I've said a lot yeah. in my life. Um, and it's a sentence I've agreed to a lot <laughs> yeah. in my life. Uh, right. No, but I, I feel a little bit of what you're saying. SimCity is my like pet hmm. peeve. Um, <sighs> SimCity pretends that you are the mayor. It right. refers to you as the mayor sometimes. Yeah, it does But that. you don't have to get reelected. And you You're also, the mayoral dynasty. And you also decide where the power lines go. And neither of those things are things that mayors <laughs> do. Yeah. And that's fine. I understand that it's not attempting to be a politics simulator, which is great. I don't necessarily want to play a politics simulator. I'm confused about why they have given your avatar the name of a politician if they don't want to make a mm. politics simulator. Okay. It's funny because uh, SimCity is one of the games that we had on our 386 okay. computer when I was younger. And... I cannot tell how valuable this computer was when we got it. It's possible it was like nine years out of date. But it was certainly it before was... the Pentium commercials came out. Because okay. if one thing will tell you how in date you are, it's television. Right, and I don't remember what I was going to say. Oh, so I played SimCity very early on. The first SimCity. And I remember SimCity 2000 coming out. Right, which in, was in not the in... year 2000. Was it in the year 2000? It was 99, I think. 
Okay. But that's like a long tradition. I mean, it's true for cars. Right. Everything coming out of here. Like, and I loved SimCity. It was like one of the first games yeah. I played well, game on a great. computer. I mean, not one of the first video games I played because we had an Atari and an right. NES. And... Well, it's also a very good example of a game to... It's a good game to play on a computer because it is a good example of like a thing that showcases some things that are good about computer interfaces. Like yeah. Clicking. Clicking. The primary feature of that game is clicking. Right. I played <laughs> it on the SNES a lot as well. You're not was... doing anything. You're just clicking. <laughs> there was a release of the of SimCity for the SNES. Oh. And I played a lot of it, even though I also played it for the computer and I, I had it for DOS and Windows. And That sentence is very much like, there's a version of Warcraft 2 on the PlayStation. <laughs> You're like, um, why? I think that's also literally true. No, um, it is true. It, yeah, right? I, yeah, I played it. And that sounds like a terrible idea. I yeah. enjoyed it. I didn't know any better. But the SNES, SimCity, I don't know who was in charge of the port. I don't know anything, but it's very Nintendo-y. Mm. And they gamify it real hard. And they make it really fun and goofy. And so you get, like, statues of Mario when you get a certain level. And, oh. like, Nintendo is really good at that stuff. Like, yeah. just injecting fun into things. Whether you want it or not. <laughs> and so I loved this port, even though it was, like, kind of a bad version of the game. Because it had crappier controls and, mm. you know. But, like, they gamified it so well. One of the things that's really important about SimCity is that it is not gamified. And that is a sandbox. Um, right. You can make your own game out of it. Yeah, that's funny. And, you know, what is a game is a whole question that we should ask. Right. Um, but I'm... I don't think we should now. I need a very short break, and then we will maybe come right back and talk more actually about our game. I promise. Yeah, we'll do it. It's it's like you just unplugged and plugged back in. This podcast. Our operating system is now recognizing it. Now it is. It's Uh, back. We're back. We're back. And we're back. (laughs) And we're back. (laughs) So we want to talk about this video game we made, and we're going to talk about the process of making it. Mm -hmm. And so... We've mentioned the brainstorming. Right. So when we got it, we did some brainstorming, and this took... It took most of the... The first night, yeah. The first night. I mean, I wrote a little bit of code the first night, Mm -hmm. I think. Did I drop... Will, you write a lot of code. Yeah essentially exclusively yeah writing code right and i write code but i also do a lot of other things including drawing pictures right bryce has more skills than i have (laughs) but i don't have any of them very well (laughs) so i i do a lot of things a little bit um so my background is film so i've got this set of skills that really help you make film which is nice well, one of the reasons that that's nice is because film involves a lot of things. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, if you can make film, you can also probably do, for instance, some audio stuff. Right. Uh, you could maybe produce a podcast. <laughs> I might be doing that right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I do produce this podcast. So I know things about microphones and editing software and things like that. Probably also know things about cameras and photography and lenses. That's true. Um, you know, and images and how images are digitized and film touches on lots of different things. Right. Yeah, it's huge. It's got so many things. And video games contain all of film in them. Right. And you may have noticed this if you had played a game after 1998. 
Yeah. That's an arbitrary um, time. Right, but, or but maybe even ever. Um, yeah. Well, because like in PlayStation 1 era, there are all these FMV games where they're literally showing you clips of film yeah. of actual humans in their games before they realize that they could do better... Better uh, immersion. Yeah, having the actual characters. I played this game on the PlayStation 1 where you flew airplanes, like fighter jets, okay. around and you shot things. And the idea was aliens had invaded Earth. Right. And you were shooting them with your, like, F-16 fighter jets right. or whatever. Yeah. And you flew around and you blew things up. And it's the game that I credit for making me be an inverted oh, okay. video game player. Okay. That's... Because I trained myself to fly this ship where down was up mm-hmm. and up was down. And it was hard and confusing at first. Right. But because it was, you know, a stick control. Yeah, well, and it whatever. makes sense. And anyway, but it used these FMVs, these these full right. motion, full motion video. That's yeah, uh... full motion videos to like tell the story. And if you died, they like showed them launching yeah. your coffin out of a ship. Yeah, yeah, you have these cutscenes, and and this is you know at a time when the graphical fidelity that you could produce in a game engine was so much lower than what you could produce just by embedding film. And the CD-ROM had just come out more or less for. It was, it was like a little bit old news on the on the PC, but you could suddenly just put like a whole bunch of media mm-hmm. in a game, and that was new. Right. And so, I guess the FMV is actually a, an artifact of the fact that a new technology came out that increased storage space a huge amount, and right. didn't increase speed or RAM or anything. Like, didn't increase mm-hmm. any of the things that really affect in the moment gameplay. Right. They're very low-quality videos right. in general. Because, yeah, I mean, when I say a huge amount, I mean you're going from 1.44 megabytes to 760 megabytes. Right. And that's a huge increase. 700 times bigger. Well, it's like, what, six, you know, 550 right. times bigger or something. But right. it's a lot bigger. But 760 megabytes is um, if you interact with files today that doesn't probably seem that big and all of the clips were between levels and so most of the game content was not the video so what's going on now is that a lot of the game content is characters interacting with things and moving around yeah and and at this extremely high fidelity because of modern technology right but the skills of film i think really can be applied to video games quite easily a really good example is some of the cinematic games like the uncharted games right where just all the time they use framing and one of the things that i like so much about those games the uncharted games is that they like use camera positioning in a way that I don't see in a lot of other games, and I'm not playing mm-hmm. like, every brand new game that comes out, but they use camera positioning well. So you're just you're regularly walking along, and there isn't necessarily important thing that you're looking at, but the game will hijack your controls. Some of them. Just the camera controls. So you generally have camera control. You generally have camera control. But the game will hijack your camera control and be a better director than you are. Right. Which is important. I think it's really good. And uh, they talk about weenies. Mm-hmm. Mark Brown talks about weenies. Right. Which is a big, gigantic thing in the background that you can point the camera at to orient the player. Right. 
And this is one of the primary things they use the hijacking the controls for. So, and also they'll do cutscenes where you're having a conversation with your friend. You know, there's always somebody walking around with you in those games to do that. Right. And it might hijack your controls to show them a little bit. Right. Or... Yeah, I mean, using these very, like, standard film techniques of cutting between the faces of the people talking or right. panning around a thing to establish, the, you know, an establishing shot of the area you're in right like, they're good techniques right when i say like very common film techniques i'm not like disparaging them they're, no. they're important <laughs> and there's a very long history of film developing that history i think sort of the you know the most current era of film started in the 80s or 90s right where if you watch movies from that era i mean and in the 80s action movies had some way to go but like the standard comedy was more or less exactly the same in the 80s as it is today hmm and I've thought a lot about so, film, which is not strictly what this podcast is right. all about, but I'm pretty into it. It's so. a conversation for another time. Yeah. But. <laughs> so anyway, these techniques for film were developed over, you know, a hundred years. 19, right. or 1895 is sort of the beginning of film. Right. And by 1995, we're in the modern era. You know, so that's a hundred years of information to be developed over time. You know, it's many decades to develop this sense of how to do things. And it's not worth throwing away. Well, there's also a funny thing where film for a long time is primarily tech-driven in a way that is not dissimilar to video games. Right. It's primarily tech-driven, and then as tech improves, technique and narrative considerations can become increasingly important. Yeah, it's really interesting because, so you may have heard that many people think of Citizen Kane as one of the best movies ever made. Right. It's the movie that people point at as the best movie ever made. And the real reason for this is that it came out in the 30s-ish. I'm going to look that up in a minute. Oh, all right, I got it. So it came out in the approximate 30s, 40s, 20s. No, it's definitely not the 20s. So it came out... Actually, just tell me. (laughs) I'm looking it up. Finish your sentence. No, I can't do it. (laughs) It came out in 1941. 41. Okay, so it, so it came out at the end of the 30s. <laughs> that may be true. Yeah. Um, but the, the 60s end in 68 well, nine, and the 70s start in 69. Who knows? I would like you to confirm this, but The Jazz Singer came out in 1917, which is the first sound film. Okay. And so it was solidly after that. But 1941, Citizen King came out. And what's so interesting about that movie is that it just feels like a modern movie. You might watch it mm-hmm. and think, it's black and white, but it's a movie. Whatever. And it does a lot of things that are current techniques that just weren't done at the time. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of why it gets put on one of the best movies ever is that it just did some of the modern things. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a groundbreaking thing, right? And this is true in in a lot of art where if you go back far enough, there are things that are like avant-garde or experimental or weird and crazy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're just techniques that are completely incorporated into Like Eisenstein or, you know, Soviet montage, all those things in film. And currently we're doing Um, things in video games and people are arguing and saying, well, that's good. Oh, that's amazing. That's crazy. That's this weird thing you did. So video games are a very, you know, modern. So just to point out, I'm trying to not use the word modern because in art movements, it has a very particular meaning. And that's not what I mean, but I mean current. Right. You mean New and or contemporary. I mean contemporary. Yeah. These are all contemporary things. And so we're developing what video games are and should be and are doing. And so film isn't even all doing the same thing. 
So we're doing different things in different film, and, and not one thing is the thing that everyone is doing. That's this myth. Right, yeah. Well, it's it's the way that you can look at history, right? I mean, when you look at the history of yeah. our movement. Uh, right. So what we're doing is still changing the techniques available for the medium. Right. And that is something I feel very comfortable saying. We're changing the techniques that we can use. And we can use new ones, and we can use old ones, and we can borrow things from film, like film borrowed things from stage, and... Right. And, and novels and so on. So Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's interesting about video games in particular is that it borrows techniques from... It both borrows and invents techniques from such a wide variety of media. Mm-hmm. Um, interactive media are quite old, right? Games mm-hmm. are quite old. Yeah. But narrative interactive media are, are newer in some ways. You know, they've still been around for a long time. They're... Yeah, um, but I don't know. There's like the, I don't know, the but, murder mystery game. Or right, yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, um, there's a lot of things that are happening in video games. And just the way that techniques can be mashed together. Um, it turns out that the techniques have like, uh, in, in some way that's extremely obvious, they are more than the sum of their parts. And especially with interactive media, the decisions that you make around the non-interactive parts frame the interactive parts in this really powerful way and, and vice versa. And games are more complex than other forms of media. I'm very comfortable saying that. Right. Um, they have more moving parts and more interacting parts and many more mm-hmm. like combinations of kinds of things. And this, like, combinatorial complexity makes them, like, very rich for experimentation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm, I'm always bothered by this argument about, like, what you should do with the medium. Sure. So, like, you should make the medium of a game be the gameplay, you know, express right, yeah. Fil- things. Film is a visual medium, so you should make your movie about what you can see and not about the dialogue, because if it was about the dialogue, you could write it down in a book. Like, that's the right. kind of thing someone would say. Right, but and I it's would a argue... a dumb thing to say. <laughs> I agree. I agree with the second part. Oh. So you can say that about film, but you could say Clerks is a good movie. Right, exactly. I love that movie yeah. for a number of reasons. One of the reasons I like Clerks is that they have successfully shown a set of dialogue. <laughs> right. Well, and it turns out that film is a visual medium and seeing someone's face while they talk right. is different from reading words. Right. So <laughs> Right. And yeah, it's wildly different. One of the things that's very valuable about film And people say that it's visual, but that's not the point. That isn't the primary thing that film can do. What film can do is show you the thing that somebody wants to show you at any given time. Right. The thing that's very important about video games isn't that you can do things, but it's that you can make choices. This is the thing that I think is the most important part about all video games. And so the thing about that is that in Mario, you can make choices. Mm -hmm. You make lots of choices. In that case, though, they have decided what the right choice is. Right. Or what the ultimate... The the range of right choices. The range of right Um, choices. Yeah, yeah, Um, Puzzle games are all about making almost exactly the right choices. Right. You know, they give you a small amount of error that you can make. Yeah. And so... It's not that important that you can do mechanics. That seems so wrong to me. I I thought about this very recently, about why I thought that wasn't right. Mm -hmm. And in that way, if you say, oh, the thing is that players can interact with it, that's the important part. That seems wrong. And the reason I think that seems wrong is because it's not that that you can interact with it. It's that you can make choices. 
And so people use, you should be interacting, so you shouldn't be using cutscenes. Right. But what cutscenes do is give you context for your choices that you decide to make. Mm-hmm. And it's a big difference between the well done, if the ones that use cutscenes well and the ones that don't are ones that you are, man, this is hard to put into words. <laughs> well, I'm learning now. So there's a couple of different kinds of cutscenes. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe thinking about what those kinds of cutscenes are is the way to describe when they are and aren't successful. And you were saying something. So we're definitely talking about cutscenes in video games. Yeah. And I was laying out some kinds of cutscenes, and I was not doing so in any extremely uh, rigorous way. So I'm just trying to throw some ideas out there. So there there are cutscenes where your character does stuff. So there are cutscenes that push forward narrative around your character and do character development. Okay. And so they show the character you are normally controlling do some things. So this is like many Final Fantasy cutscenes. Yeah. There are also cutscenes that show other stuff, right? That show progress in the world, that are like meanwhile cutscenes. Right. Back at the rent. Right. So in Final Fantasy IV, there are some scenes where it cuts to the villain doing some things and cackling evilly. Right. Know. And this is also a standard movie. Yeah. Yeah. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Meanwhile, back uh-huh. at the ranch. Yeah. There are cutscenes that establish world building things. I'm thinking of RTSs. Between missions, you usually get some state of the war, right? Like in an RTS, you are usually Mm -hmm. like a general in a war. Right. RTSs are a really funny thing to fit into this. And it's why, it's one of the reasons why it's hard to fit video games exactly into film. Because there isn't a linear narrative that you can have characters doing things the whole time. Like... For the most part, in RTSs, you're clicking things and telling them to do things, and it's not... I mean, StarCraft is good at making characters be the things that are doing things, but mostly, it's not the characters deciding anything. Right. It's you deciding And they create characters, and they make... They craft missions around characters doing specific things. Yeah. And so they have these in-engine cutscenes where, like, Jim Rayner is upset because Kerrigan is done something bad right and um, it recenters the screen it, around rainer's green vulture and yeah. then cuts back over to kerrigan in whatever form kerrigan is in at that right. point some blades right um, it just, or, or like a ghost <laughs> you know just moving but it just recenters the screen right, and yeah. that's it's and primary, there's these in-engine cutscenes, which is yeah. as close to a cut in video as you get in engine at right. that time yeah and that's another form of cutscene, but that's a kind of wacky one. It doesn't fit in any of the categories I just described, because mm-hmm. the categories I described more or less were dependent upon the idea of you being a thing in the world. Um, and in fact, in StarCraft, I think there is an ostensible you in the narrative, like you're an actual person. Oh, are you in StarCraft? But I'm not sure, because if you are, it's so dubious. Because it, the story is about all of these other people that you click on and tell to do things. Um, Somebody talks in the second person. Right. At some point. And they tell you to do things. Right. Make sure that they get to the blah, blah, blah. Um, Do do that thing. And certainly in StarCraft 2, you are in fact a specific character because they built that in a lot. You are Jim Raynor in the Terran. You have a ship. Like, between missions, you go on your ship and you like, I don't know. But I actually played like four of those missions and I haven't played the rest. 
I played a bunch of those missions, but I don't remember any of you them. You like go. You're mostly in a bar. But that's you, all. Most and you of have them. a. There's like a science officer on your ship. You can tell your science officer to upgrade your various oh, units. Yeah, it just felt like a menu. Right. Themif- it's an elaborate menu. Yeah, it's a themified menu. But it's a menu that is based around the idea that you are in fact Jim Rayner in okay. StarCraft Two. Yeah, that's true. Because you're, you're not Jim Rayner in StarCraft. Right. You're you some also, other guy. You, maybe your character feels very different from Jim Rayner in the first game mm-hmm. too. So like, I just sort of blew it off in right. my brain and was like, "I'm well, gonna play this game now." Click, click, click. Right, and and Jim Rayner is obviously a character that you interact with in StarCraft. Yeah. Oh yeah. In Brood War. He's not you. You click on him and he says, "This is Jimmy," and. <laughs> Like, and he's a vulture. He's some other guy. It's not like, hey, yeah. this is me. I'm you. Yeah. He doesn't say that. No, he doesn't say that, but oh. it's not necessary to say, because he just is somebody else that isn't you. That's funny. I forgot um, that that was true. There, and I only played some of the Terran bits in the... Right. And there Starcraft is a 2. yeah, there is a specific avatar and narrative in StarCraft 2, but I didn't play through it because it turns out I would always rather be playing the multiplayer in that game oh. than the single player. That's funny, because I spent so much more of my time playing the single player of the first StarCraft, and not very much of the second, the multiplayer. But it's funny that you'd be like, oh, this is a game about multiplayer. But StarCraft 2 came out of, there. the multiplayer became so big from the first one. Yeah, it definitely had a big campaign, and I'm sure there are lots of people who bought it, played the campaign, were satisfied, moved on to another game. You um, audience can't see this, but I'm pointing at myself um, right now. And and that's just very funny because, I mean, to me, mm-hmm. because I, I was like, StarCraft II is going to come out and I'm going to play against people. It's going to be so great. Yeah. They're going to kill me. And then I will occasionally kill them. And it turned out that was basically true. Yeah, I just, I played some of the Warcraft 3 online and I just died. I really like Warcraft 3, in, oh. in and in that is a somewhat controversial opinion among RTS people. But. I did not like it, because you just died. Well, the- StarCraft 2 had better matchmaking. It had matchmaking, uh, so that was right. good. Well, that was still being developed when Warcraft right. 3 was coming yeah. out. You'd just go in and try to find a game, and it would be against someone that was better than you. Yeah. Because everyone was. <laughs> yeah, ladders are pretty important. And Blizzard has learned this. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Hearthstone. I really like playing Hearthstone. I think it's fun, and the games don't take very long, and I can play them in bed while I'm trying to wake up. And so Hearthstone has this nice ladder system, and I win half my games. Yeah, it's great to win half your games and lose half your games. Like when when I was playing StarCraft Brood War, the original StarCraft, trying to play it competitively online, and I I was just trying to get good at it. Um, Mm. And it has this very, very high skill four in multiplayer and so i would get on and i would play these games and like 80 percent of my games i would just die within minutes um and for some perverse reason i really wanted to get good at it so i would keep playing Uh, um that is the difference between the two of us and yeah and i can't describe this reason part of it was like you know unemployment um (laughs) i know that feeling (laughs) um and and you know the desperate need to feel successful at something i wasn't obviously in a really great emotional state at the time well noted (laughs) (laughs) but i did and i played these games and and i would develop this like ridiculous amount of pride 
about very small things. For instance, if I could get the Dragoon to the bunker while the SCV was still building it at the base, and I could hit the SCV with a couple of shots with my Dragoon, that was like this major moment of triumph, but it's this extremely small technical detail. Yeah, and this is the trap of video games, is the feeling of achievement for something that when you're done... If the people you're talking to don't know anything about video games, or even worse, the very specific video game that right. you're playing, yeah. then you're like, oh, I cannot make this be valuable to right. you. And the, yeah, this story this, about Dragoon bunker timings. Like, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I actually think it's interesting now, but you pitched it well. <laughs> yeah, if you were just trying to say, I did it, I finally did it. I uh, beat that level in Mario 3. I'm on to World 7. Right, and this is true, uh, pipes broadly speaking, about a lot of things in life. When I was working as a computer programmer, I would come home, and one of the alienating things about being a computer programmer mm -hmm. is that you want to describe your great triumph of the day, and oh. it's like having written a sequel query. Yeah, no, <laughs> I know about sequel query. There's no conversation that you can have about a server. Yeah, and no one cares, and it's boring. And you've talked to other programmers, you're like... I did this thing, and it's extremely boring, but I'm going to tell you about it, and they'll be like, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I want you to hear my stories <laughs> <Right>. one day <laughs> yeah. about SQL queries. SQL is a database. If you would like to relate data to one another, yeah. <laughs> then it's your friend. Um, uh, and if not, it's your enemy. <laughs> Well, to be fair, you use it every day. You just don't know it because right. someone else has That's worked true. with it for you. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> if you have used a website recently, you have used SQL. Right. However mm. you accessed this podcast. Oh, for sure. It um, involves a SQL query. Unless we emailed the link to you. That's true. But I'm not planning on doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah this is very extremely esoteric things and you're like i'm so excited i accomplished this random thing but the sequel quarry among other things someone probably gave you money for it or right. at the very least if they didn't give you money you wrote a cool website eventually maybe that day you can't be like look at this cool website i made because that day you're probably like i figured out a bug with my string parser right. but eventually you can say look at this cool website i made after many many days of these random esoteric things whereas yeah. with starcraft you really can't just be like, look at this cool build order I made. Right. So how does that affect the rest of the world? Right. And you're like... You're like, well, there's a thousand people on the internet who are now using right. my build order. That's one of the funny things, though, because if you play football mm -hmm. or baseball or something, one of those sports where you try to get a ball to a particular place, there's some sports that I think are interesting. But uh, many of them involve moving balls to particular yeah, places. Moving balls to particular places. You're like, oh my god, I moved a ball to that particular place a, cer a certain number of times in this period. Then, strangely, and now I'm describing this as boringly as I possibly can, but people will shout and cheer and rejoice. Well, sure, but if you come home from soccer practice and hang out with a friend or you tell your partner, mm. like, oh my god, I scored so many goals in soccer practice, they'll be like, yeah, that's cool. You move that ball. Awesome. I don't know. Um, they will be similarly interested because they like you and similarly bored because it's boring. Yeah, I don't know. I don't tell people those things. Sure. <laughs> so I have no idea how people feel. 
maybe it's the same. But I just think that there's this uh, general acceptance of those kinds of things in a lot of the rest of the culture. But I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't care in those people's lives that are like, I'm just not into that thing. It's just you might be expected to care about some of those things a little bit more than you're expected to care about your build order. Right. Also, RTSs are really complex and difficult to watch if you don't know anything about it. As opposed to, there's one ball. It's got to go in one place. Yeah, I mean, If you get it in that place, and it doesn't go in that one other place, then you are doing great. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, sports are simpler. There's fewer moving parts. But they also depend on... They depend on understanding of the game, and they depend on good cinematography. Um, right. And good video game casters, I think, solve a lot of the problems. Um, mm. I don't, I've watched competitive video game feeds of right. things that I don't watch, but if there's a good caster doing it... Just like a good sports caster explaining why that pitch looked really good to try to swing at, but right. was actually not a good one to try to actually hit. And right, and most video game casters, and I expect most sports casters as well, I watch fewer sports than I watch video games, and I watch very little of either. The format is like, there's two people, and one of them is naive and asks uh... questions, and the other is an expert and answers them. One of them says things for the beginner audience, and the other says things for the expert audience, but they are doing so in a conversation, so it right. relates the two things. Um, right. It's a really great format. Yeah, um, that's good. It's like <laughs> the... I can't remember if this is the actual dog show or the best in show dog show <laughs> where they do this. They're like, oh, why do we care about that? Oh, it's because of this. Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And so like, you know, in StarCraft casting, someone will be like, oh my God, this is just like a crazy engagement. He's about to lose all of his Zerglings. And then the other person will be like, well, he's up three bases and he's mining faster. He's doing a build where he can build all these Zerglings. And so actually he He's going to lose more mineral value in this engagement, but his goal now is to stop his opponent from expanding, so it's worth the loss. Um, And so there's like this back and forth of naive comments and expert comments. I legitimately couldn't tell which one was supposed to be the naive one (laughs) and which one was supposed to be the expert. (laughs) (laughs) So if any of you out there couldn't tell, don't worry. I can't either. And that's the thing. It's very esoteric. All this information and knowing what is good and what's the right thing and what's weird and what's weird but just might work. Right. Um, as opposed to other sports. Uh, yeah, other games. There's, there's fewer interacting variables. Right. And the other thing is people are trained from birth to care about football or basketball. Right. Or... But also you can't look at a soccer game and be like, well, they're not succeeding in moving the ball towards the net. But... They're gaining a lot of positional advantage over the rest of the battlefield. (laughs) Well, soccer is interesting because there are very few goals scored in any game. It's like, oh man, it was a high-scoring game. There were three. Right, it was like three to one. Right, and there's a whole word for one person scoring three goals. Yeah. As opposed to basketball where you're like, well, I got 75 points in that game. So, I mean, that's good basketball wise generally if you're doing that that, that's a good sign but like if you're scoring three goals in one soccer game you're outlandishly good right yeah yeah, you're a hero 
and they have a whole word for it, yeah. the hat trick, right. which is a great word or phrase or whatever it is. I'm not really sure because I don't actually watch very much soccer. It's unclear where it comes from. Or football if you're from the rest of the world. And knowing what's good about it is a really important part of what makes interacting with other people about your hobby important or job or whatever. Right. Yeah, the... Anyway, how long did we talk about that for? We've done a derail from our derail. <laughs> I know. Anyway, sports, esports, etc. We might just be done. Yeah, maybe time to just give up on this. I guess. I guess a lot of what this one has been about so far is people's engagement. Yeah, engagement and attention. And attention via alternative contexts, yep. like other existing contexts. So we've got movies. We have sports. And probably that's a good set of context to set video games in. Right. They're like some amalgam of movies and sports. Yeah, that's I think that's definitely true. Right. And I don't think it's worth claiming that video games are a thing. No. Separate from all the other things. No. But it certainly borrows from a lot of the other things. And there are lessons to be learned from those other things that are incredibly valuable such as how to engage people who don't know what your thing is about or how to get more people to know what your thing is about in a way that makes it easier to tell them there's this whole concept in video games called affordances yep which is the notion that people are going to see a door and they're going to think oh a door if i turn the handle the door will unlatch and if i push that door or pull it after i turn the handle then the door will open i know what doors are i've done this before easy peasy let's right. do this i like doors i like doors i would like to go somewhere that isn't here let's go through that door that's, that's what doors do so this is like a very yeah. easy example of an affordance right but you know swords are for swinging at things right and if you have a sword you're gonna figure out whether you can hit something there's that line in uh the mask of zorro the one with anthony hopkins uh, and uh antonio banderas. antonio banderas and they're like do you know how to use that thing it's, yes the pointy end goes into the other man it's a great line and it's a really good example of affordances yeah you're like here's this thing i know how it works people right. and so you can afford to just give the player a sword because they know what swords do right so if you're playing the legend of zelda and you don't get the sword it's a game about running away from things and not dying <laughs> right um, but if you pick up the sword you're like oh it's a game about stabbing things it's about stabbing okay so we experienced some technical difficulties and suddenly our podcast ended our recorder stopped so we are going to go ahead and do our sign off. Uh, this is Will. I'm Bryce, and this is podcast. Uh, no, it's no, not. No, it's anything. not. It's side quests. It's oh. podcasts. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> is the side quests podcast, and you have been listening to a podcast that is about one of a number of possible options. Yeah, there's a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I don't think we lost too much, but. It might be some time before we figure out exactly what we said. So so we will attempt to pick up from wherever we left off the next time we record. Anyway, thanks for listening. Oh, if you are interested in listening more, you can find us on Stitcher or iTunes. We're called SideQuests, plural. And you can email us at contact at SideQuests.com. 
podcast.com. Um, we're, we're also on SoundCloud. Oh, we are on SoundCloud. You can find us there. All right. Thanks very much. Goodbye. Good night.